Dear congregation, when God calls people out of darkness into his marvelous light, he gives light. He shines the light of his word upon their path. He brings a new day into the darkness of sin which had hold on people by nature. But does this mean that there are no times of darkness and sorrow or of gloom in the life of a Christian? This is certainly not the case. It's a false doctrine that believes that Christianity is a health and wealth gospel, that once you become a believer, everything is smooth sailing, that all goes well. The Bible says it very differently. The Apostle Paul says that it is through much tribulation, through trials, through turmoil, that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so let's not believe that false gospel, that the Christian's life is without trials, but let us instead look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and find in him our joy. As we hope to hear this morning from Psalm 30, we'll be looking at the whole psalm, but at this time I'll read verse 5, which has a particular um, emphasis. For his anger... Endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Our theme looking to the Lord is God brings a new day. We'll see, first of all, how he uses sorrow's visit. He uses sorrow's visit and how he is joy's arrival. God brings a new day. He uses sorrow's visit. He is joy's arrival. Well, young people and children, this psalm was written at the dedication of David's house. We don't know exactly what particular time this was in his life. Some people think that this was after Saul had uh, hounded David like um, an animal, but the Lord had defeated Saul and the Lord had given David, uh, the kingdom. And at that time, he, he dedicated this psalm to the Lord and his house to the Lord. Other people think that this was written after Absalom had driven David from the kingdom. And after the Lord allowed him to come back, he rededicated his house after it was defiled. Some people think that this is not so much David's own house, but the house of God which David was allowed to plan for. And he, looking back on his life and all the troubles and trials that he endured, it was really the future he was focused on, this new day uh, where the worship of the Lord would be solidified during the reign of Solomon. And in this psalm, David talks about a night of weeping. A night of weeping. But by that, children, he doesn't mean just one night. We shouldn't take it literally as if there was just one bad night in David's life that he had. No, this is is a picture for a period of time in his life. Uh, Sometimes people who have suffered a lot, they look back on a year or two and they say, that was a dark night in my life. That was a sorrowful season, you could also say. That's what this night of weeping means. 
a period, shorter or longer, where it feels like it's a night, it's nighttime, things are dark. And when things are, are dark, you feel lonely, and you don't feel the warmth and the power of sunshine smiling on you. And that's what David is referring to. And this brings before us something that is real in the lives of Christians. They have nights of weeping. They have times, seasons, shorter or longer, in which things are not going smoothly, in which they're lonely, in which things around them are dark. Sometimes they know the reasons. Sometimes they don't know the reasons. It's simply internal. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's psychological. Other times it's in your circumstances. If things are just going very badly in your family, in, in, in your work, and obviously also in our world. Now there's a few lessons that we want to learn from this psalm about such nights of weeping. The first lesson is this, is that sorrowful times can come into our lives because we have been overconfident or self-complacent. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every sorrowful time in your life is because you're proud or arrogant. But in David's case, in this psalm, we do see that David was boastful and arrogant. Look with me at verse 6. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. So David here is referring to a time in his life in which things had been going very well, in which he had been prosperous. This, by the way, makes us think that this was maybe after Absalom because he had had a long time where his kingdom was going well. And when things were going well, he said to himself, he said in his heart, he, he thought to himself, you know, this life that I live now, nothing's going to change. It's going to stay this way. My mountain, the strength of my life is going to stay where it is. And isn't this typical about how we, yes, believers, even we can think when things are going well, when our business is prospering, when our family is doing well, when we ourselves are feeling good. We can sometimes look out over the world. We can look at others even who are, are broken and going through hard times and Sure, we, we have compassion on them, but we think for ourselves, listen, I have it good. And I don't see anything that can really change this. Obviously, we know in our minds that things can change, but we, we just feel uh, we're riding high and that it's always going to be this way. And David felt that. And he had to come to realize, and he says this in the next verse, he had to come to realize, Lord, by thy favor... Thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. In other words, in my prosperity I boasted that all was right because of my mountain, my life, my strength. But now, now I realize that it was only God's favor. God's favor gives life. God's favor gives hope. God's favor gives prosperity. We can't ascribe these things to ourselves. I wonder, congregation, if the word is showing up some overconfidence in our lives, that we look out over our lives, maybe not all of us, but maybe some of us, 
just now are, are overconfident. We're complacent. Things are going well. And we're ascribing this, whether we're doing it uh, explicitly or implicitly, we ascribe it to ourselves. And we, we think this is what we deserve. And this is how it should be. And this is how it will be. Be careful, my friend, if this is you. The Lord hates pride. The Lord hates complacency. He loves a humble heart that ascribes every blessing to the Lord. Shall we not take David's words now and say, Lord, by thy favor, whatever blessing I've had, it all comes from thy fatherly hand. Secondly, nights of weeping or seasons of sorrow, they are the worst for God's people because of God's absence, God's felt absence, because God is hiding his face. Look, for example, with me at verse 7. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I wonder, dear friends, if this is true for you as well. As you go through hard times, whatever they may be, is the worst part of the trouble for you when God seems far, when God is not close, when God hides his face? You know, obviously we don't like it when when things are going badly in our lives. But is the worst thing for you this? When God seems distant, when God seems to have turned away from you, is that when you are at your worst? Can you relate to David when he says here, Thou didst hide thy face and I was troubled? David David realized in that moment that whatever mountain he had had, it was no longer there. It, It came crashing down. He needed God. He needed God's smile. He needed God's face. In thy favor is life. Is that how we live our lives, congregation? That we really, beyond everything that God gives us or does for us, that we need God to be our God. That we need to be reconciled with him. That we need to be in a right relationship with him, even if everything around us is crumbling. Because if he is our God and we are his child, that no matter what happens, we are ultimately secure because God, the Almighty God, and the willing Heavenly Father, He cannot let anything happen to me as a child of God that He does not ultimately ordain for good and in which He he protects me and promises me to be with me even in my trouble. If you're here today and God's smile and God's presence means little or nothing to you. My friend, you're missing out. There are many people who go through this life and they, they just live for things and they live for people and they live for themselves. And, and you don't realize, if that's you, that you are missing the great reason you're here on the earth and that is to know God, to live for God. Yes, you say, but we can't see God. True, but God sees us and God knows us and God has spoken 
And you can have a real relationship with God in which you talk to him as a man talks to his friend. That's what we, that's what we read about Abraham, that he, he was God's friend, that he had that sweet communion with God that really made life worth living. Without God, life is empty, it's vain. And, and if you live without God and you die without God, you'll come to the end and you'll realize that really your life was death. To live apart from God is death. It is good, his face to seek. Dear children of God, don't, don't you need those reminders again and again that life is about God. Life is about his smile. Do you live in the fear of God? Does, does God's smile mean everything to you? And God's frown, when he frowns on your life, is that the worst thing for you? That's the true life of faith. But not only does, does this psalm teach us that nights of weeping can come because of overconfidence and complacence, and that the worst part of the nights of weeping are when God hides his face, but nights of weeping are times to cry to God, to pour out your heart before God. Perhaps you're wondering even just now, and I don't know your situation, many of you, but maybe you are in a night of weeping just now. What, what should I do, you ask? Well, David here cries to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, verse 10, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Verse 8, I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. Supplication means earnest cries, repeated cries, supplicating. He even argues with the Lord in verse 9. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? He's really taking hold of the Lord and the Lord's promises in his life and the Lord's character. And he's turning this night of weeping not just into tears that fall to the earth, but cries to God. He needs God. He supplicates towards heaven. Whatever the Lord has designed in your life, dear Christian, with a night of weeping, he does want you to bring your supplication to the Lord. The Bible makes this very clear. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And the God of peace will guard your heart through Christ Jesus. Cry. The Lord loves to hear his people's voice. Just like in, in, in an earthly sense, a father, a mother, Sure, we, we grow tired sometimes of our children's cries, but in, in need, when they cry to us, a father, a mother loves to hear the voice of a child. They don't want them to hide in a corner and just keep it all to themselves, to speak it out. So to the Lord, gloriously and infinitely better, he wants to hear the voice of his people. Well, congregation, this is the visit of sorrow. This is the night of weeping that the Lord allowed to come into David's life. But it was followed by a morning of joy, as he says in the words of our text in 5b, joy cometh in 
the morning. If you have ever spent a literal night of weeping in which you just had a situation or you had some great grief in your life and you just spent the hours of the night just just crying, the tears just flowed and they never stopped, people have that. Maybe you've had one recently. And maybe at first you think around 11, 12, 1 o'clock, you might think that sleep still will come. And you may even pray for that. And then 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, no sleep has come. And just your soul is in turmoil. You're afflicted. There's just no sleep to be had. Your mind is such dis-ease. Have you ever had it when you've had such a night of weeping that the breaking of the dawn reminds you of some hope? <clears throat> When morning lights the eastern skies, O Lord, thy mercy show. If God can break through in nature the darkness of the night, and that God can make his sun to rise, and that he can pierce through the darkness of the light of the of the night with his light, it can be something that even gives you hope in your soul that maybe this night that you're going through will have an end. And actually, in our text, congregation, when David says here, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, literally, the, the Hebrew says here, a chorus, a ringing chorus of joy, or a shout of joy comes in the morning. And commentators think that maybe what David is referring to here, at least as a picture, is, have you ever had this, especially in the late winter, beginning of spring, that even before the dawn of the day, the birds are chirping, even loudly, with great volume. And it's almost as if they're greeting the dawn, which is about to, to, to happen. Or, or they're crying for the dawn. It's like, where's the sun? And, and and David is using this picture to say, weeping may endure for a night, but I'm starting to hear already that chorus of joy. Those voices that are saying a change is coming. That the night won't be the final thing. Weeping may endure for a night, but God, who is almighty, can turn things. And he can turn things around. And congregation, it happens in the lives of God's people that somehow hope enters your soul even when the circumstances don't change. That's faith. That's faith in operation. That's how God can change you before he changes your circumstances. And that's when faith brings hope into the soul. And that mourning that you so long for, even though you don't see it around you, by faith you can lay hold of it. Because you know that God is a God who can turn everything around. And this is especially in verse 11, where he says, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. 
to the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. You see, David is not about changing the circumstances. Obviously, he wants that. And dear believers, you want that too. You want those broken relationships to be set right. You, you want all those things that are causing grief in your life to be turned around. But when God works in the lives of his people in these nights of weeping, then oftentimes there isn't a change around you but inside of you, and God has affected that. God is working that out. Thou hast turned. In other words, nothing mattered in my night of weeping. But when God came, and God visited me, and God came and he said, you know, child, my child, you're wearing the sackcloth. You're, you're clothed in, in the garments of mourning here. here. Here's a new set of clothes. That's literally what it says. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Here, my child, this is what you should wear. This is how I want you to be. And see, then God is so close. And then no longer is his face hidden, but he's there in your night of sorrow, even before the breaking of the day. And he changes you, and he girds you with gladness. And you have hope in the midst of your struggle and in the midst of your trial. That's how it is, dear believers, ultimately for you. You would rather have God and his nearness in your struggle with no change around you than to have simply changes around you that might be good and you pray for them and you long for them, but without God, no, I need God. I need his nearness. I need his presence. In his presence there is fullness of joy. In congregation, when we see that picture there in verse 11, you can't, you can't read that apart from God coming and Jesus Christ into the midst of this night of sin, which was ours, in which darkness and loneliness prevailed because we sinned against God, because we left God. And the Lord Jesus Christ from all eternity, he said, I will go into that night of weeping, into that horrific darkness that creation has brought upon itself. And what did the Lord Jesus do? He came into this world and he suffered as a worm and no man. And he was the man of sorrows. And he came and he took the sackcloth that so many were wearing and he put that on himself. And instead he gave people like Mary Magdalene and, and John and so many of his disciples while he lived, Bartimaeus, and so many others, what did he do? He took their sadness as a burden upon himself. He bore it. He became the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But wherever he went, he brought the gladness of joy which the Son of God in our nature can bring and does bring still even today. Just think, for example, one instance. You can multiply this. Just think of Mary Magdalene in the Garden of Gethsemane. There she is weeping, her eyes out. 
They have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. See, God had hid her, his face from her, and that was her greatest grief. She wanted the Lord. She needed the Lord. And there she is in a literal night of weeping. And all the Lord had to do was to stand behind her and to say, Mary. And that was a chorus of joy to her. God turned for her, her night of weeping, into a morning of joy. And that's how the Lord does this. And he does this congregation in two ways. And with these, we close. First of all, he does this in conversion. When there you are in your sin and in your shame and your misery, you've brought it all upon yourself. You've sinned against God. These commandments we read earlier, you haven't kept one of them. And the law is pursuing you. And you realize that you will not have any peace or any calm in your life, any rest, unless the Lord himself brings this. And you cry in such a dark place. You say, is there hope for someone like me? who have sinned it all away. I've deserved that my mountain would crumble. And I've deserved that God would hide his face from me. That's what you learn when God converts you. And yet you cry to God to yet have mercy upon you. And my friend, if that's you, God comes in the gospel and he says, he says like the father said to the prodigal, Bring the fatted calf. Put new clothes on this, my son. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and he embraces you in the gospel, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where sin abounded, grace all the more abounds. God loves to bestow his grace, his mercy on sinners. Don't listen to the devil who says there's no hope for you. Don't let the devil put a dark cloth over the gospel and make you miss what is the best news you could ever imagine, and that is that God has found a ransom, that God in Jesus Christ is pleased to receive sinners, to wash your sins away as far as east is from west, all for the sake of Christ who went into the darkest night on Calvary, the darkest night imaginable, where God not only hid his face for a season, but where Christ was forsaken, truly forsaken of his Father. And he did it that you, sinner, might be received with mercy. But not only does the Lord love to do this in conversion, child of God, he loves to do this again and again in your and my life. In, in essence, this is the Christian life, isn't it? It's hills and valleys. It's nights of weeping and mornings of joy. Samuel Rutherford called this the checkerboard of Christian experience in which God knows how to put the black next to the white, the dark next to the And he knows exactly how long to make all these things in order that in our adversity we would be patient and look to the Lord. And in our prosperity, we would be thankful 
and yet be humble. The Lord knows how to do this. And he keeps us on a short leash in this way. And so everything he brings into your life, dear child of God, whether it's illness or grief or loss or heartache or disappointments, whatever it is, inside you, around you, God aims in all of it to draw you to himself and to keep you close to him, to keep crying to him in the nights of weeping, and to expect and look for those mornings of joy in which he is everything. And that's, congregation, what the Lord does in the lives of his people until that last day breaks, child of God. When you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, And the weeping is real and the loss is real. And you have to say farewell to friends and loved ones. And it is a night. Let no one say it's not a night. But on the other side is morning. An everlasting morning. A morning in which the sunshine will never give way in which God will be all in and all. There will never be a night of weeping there. Don't you long for that? Then live your life on the checkerboard of Christian experience and expect it and live from out of that joy when all shall be made right. My dear unconverted friend, We want you along because there is a night of weeping for those who are not reconciled unto God. The Bible tells us of a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and there will be outer darkness. But friend, while you still hear my voice, while you still hear God speaking to you in his word, come and join the band of the children of light who pass through darkness and nights, but they're on their way. They're children of the morning. They're children of light. And this is what they want. God, my light forever.